Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Hey, when was the last time you made copies? And what were you making copies of? Mm-hmm. Copy machine? Was that where you were? Were you at, uh, maybe you went to the local copy store and you made copies of, I don't know, your taxes. I made copies um, of all the documents that, you know, you have to send in your original documents. Like, let's say when you need a new social security card or you need a new passport, um, you have to actually like send in all the original copies of things. And so I made copies of all of those things because... You know, I only trust that process so much so far. So what did you make copies of most recently? What are the copies you've been making? What does it look like to conform something to a pattern? Maybe you've put something in a jello mold lately. Mm-hmm. That's conformity to a pattern. Um, and why am I bringing this up? Well, Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact representation, a fully human copy. Like, right, that's one way to think about it, um, of, of God, fully man and fully God. So he is the pattern. He is um, the the one after whom our lives are intended to be patterned or conformed. But pretty much we conform to the ways of the world, to the patterns of the world. And that is what Paul is addressing in today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy, don't be conformed to uh, the behaviors or customs of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That would be the way I memorized this verse. How about you? Um, Are you conformed to allowing yourself to be conformed to the patterns of the world or actively seeking to have a mind that is transformed and renewed by the word of God. So whether you think about it or not, there are customs, there are patterns of behavior, patterns of speech. There are customs in your home, at your place of work, at your table, in your car, when you go on holiday. Like there there are customs, there are patterns of behavior. So if you were to visit my house, um, you you would see that it's customary (laughs) for my people to take their shoes off and leave them outside the door. Why is that? Because we live in in a just a in a in a dirty, muddy, dusty place, and so because I already have to sweep the floor very, very frequently, we have gotten into the pattern of behavior of taking off our shoes. Well, I realize that when other people come to visit our house, you know, they don't really need to take off their shoes. Their shoes are not dirty like ours are dirty. They haven't been tromping around in the woods or. Um, tromping around in the garden or the orchard or the construction site, on and on and on. They, they've they got out of their very clean, tidy car and walked up our clean, tidy walkway to our clean, tidy porch. And they could walk into our clean, tidy house, but they see this, they see this menagerie of shoes. And so they sort of instinctively wanting to 
follow the pattern of the household, they start to take off their shoes. And I say, oh, you don't you don't have to take off your shoes. Like, that's not that's, that's our behavior. That's not you don't have to conform to that. So um, now they do have to conform when they sit down at our dinner table to the custom of holding hands and praying before a meal. Why is that? Well, because we do it instinctively and we reach out our hands and people conform to that. So I want you to just to think about for just a moment the patterns or behaviors of your life, your customs. Are you instinctively uh, asking people to conform to those patterns and those behaviors? And then where are you just mindlessly allowing yourself to be conformed or patterned to the ways of the world. Daniel is the best example here that I can think of in the Bible who retained his commitment to the ways of God, the ways that he learned from his Jewish parents um, in Jerusalem, the way that Daniel retained all of that, even as he was living in the foreign culture of Babylonia. Um, So which direction is the influence flowing, I think, is the question here. Am I helping other people to see the pattern of Christ and inviting them to renew their minds and be conformed to him? Or am I just sort of going along with the ways of the world and allowing myself to be conformed to it? That's that's really the question that rises out of Romans 12, verse 2. Our friend Daryl Crouch is going to join us. We're going to talk about listening. We're going to talk about speaking. We're also going to talk about listening. What would happen if instead of speaking, we listened first? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This will not surprise you, but the first time that I got uh, sent to the corner of a classroom for talking too much was uh, not in the fourth grade by Mrs. Kuhn, nor in the third grade by Mrs. Chestnut. Uh, But I think it was in the second grade uh, by Mrs. Bickle, who was the music teacher. Well, uh, Mrs. Best sent our friend Daryl Crouch, uh, maybe not to the corner, called him out in front of the class in the fourth grade for talking to Carol Cheatham. The rest of that story now... Daryl joins us. Good morning, sir. Hey, good morning. It's good to talk to it, you. <laughs> it didn't stop you from talking. No, I, you know, really, she sent me on the hall. It was very embarrassing. I talked back to her at, at that. So it wasn't a, it wasn't my finest moment, but she was so gracious. And, but no, I haven't, uh, I've learned that, um, yeah, I always have a lot to say. So, yeah. So I uh, was recently on a trip with my parents uh, to Canada, and I learned something about myself in a story that my mom told on herself that I'd never heard before. And it was from grade school. And there were these three rambunctious boys in one of her grade school classes, and they frequently got sent to the principal's office. And, um, And she started to grow jealous of the fact that they got to leave class and go somewhere else. And they seemed to be having so much fun. And so uh, she asked them, like, well, you know, what, what, uh, where, where you go? And they're like, oh, man, we go, we go down there and he talks with us. And it's so great. And, you know, our dads are out working all the time, so they don't ever talk to us. So, so we get to talk to, I can't remember his name, but <clears throat> let's call him Mr. Finch. And my mom was like, huh, I'm like that. My dad, you know, goes to work before dawn and doesn't come home until after dark. And it'd be nice to have a man speak into my life. So she did whatever it was that they were doing to get sent to the principal's office, and she got to sit and talk with or listen to Mr. Finch. And I thought to myself, you know what? This explains why I spent so much time in the principal's office in grade school. Mrs. Weeks was her name, and she smelled like powder. Wow. And you just you just wanted to have a conversation. You just wanted to talk I think 
Because you spend so you spend so much time in grade school listening to one other person talk all the time, your teacher at the front of the classroom, and sure. you know it can become tiresome. And sometimes you just want to talk. We just we just need to let it out. We just need an outlet. We can't sit there all day and be quiet. <laughs> Surprising no one who's hearing us talk right now. So um, you uh, went into a a career um, in which you got to talk a lot as a pastor. Um, you're now exploring the question of listening more and talking less. Can you draw us into that? Sure. I think a lot of the people that we um, that we relate to as pastors, uh, they're they're ready listeners. I mean, they come, they they follow us on social media, they listen to our sermons, uh, and that's really good. And I want to be really clear, and I and you've already said this, but I, I think my article says this. I'm we're very much a people of the word. We're people of a spoken word. We need to speak the gospel um, as well as share, as well as show the gospel, all that. There's always that push-pull, but uh, we are people of, of, of proclamation, and so that's really important. Uh, I do think, however, we could learn some skills of, of curiosity and just um, uh, of stepping into people's lives that, that aren't quite at our church yet, that aren't following Jesus with us yet, that aren't on our social media feed, that aren't in our community of faith, whatever that looks like. Uh, because most of the people that are outside of that community of faith, uh, they have no orientation around the things that we're talking about. And uh, whatever is totally 180 degrees unfamiliar to us, the, our faith is unfamiliar to them. And so most people aren't trying to rebel against God. They're not trying to, you know, you know, leave the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. That's just not an orientation for them. So I think for some of us, we treat uh, unbelievers or people that aren't quite with us yet uh, as a monolithic group. And uh, we assume because they may affirm some kind of lifestyle that we don't or some sort of position that we don't, that, that we know everything about them. And so Jesus modeled something I think that was important for us. So did Paul and, and James and some others um, in the New Testament that we can look up to. But uh, Jesus just asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of questions. And so that's how he, he got to know people. He drew them into his life, and they began to share some common ground together before, um, you know, he shared the gospel and invited them to repent and follow him. And so I think uh, some of us, um, who are so so apt at talking, uh, we assume that's where we need to start. And uh, so my contention is maybe maybe we should start with curiosity. Um, and uh, the other thing I would say, Carmen, is that many pastors and and deeply committed Christians, uh, we really don't have conversations with people outside of our community of faith very much. And uh, so that. To, to do that, we, we need to learn some new skills and, and um, exercise some muscles maybe that we, that we don't exercise enough. And uh, uh, so and one of those muscles or one of those exercises is, is asking questions. James chapter 1, verses 19 to 22. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Um, We're going to continue our conversation with Daryl Crouch about what might happen if we 
listened more and talked less? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here, and we all need prayer. And, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. I spend a lot of time asking questions. It's the nature of what I do um, every single day. I wonder how many questions you asked yesterday and who you asked them of. When's the last time you just asked somebody an honestly curious question? Why are you doing that? Or how are you doing that? Or where did you learn to do that? What are you thinking about right now? What's on your mind? What would our lives look like if we asked more questions? Like Jesus. We're talking with Daryl Crouch about what would happen if we listened first. You can find his blog related to this at uh, his Substack, which is DarylCrouch.substack.com. He's also uh, heads up an organization called Everyone's Wilson. You can find information about that and how to do likewise at Everyone'sWilson.org. So what kinds of questions, uh, Daryl, did Jesus ask? Well, he asked a lot of different kinds of questions. There's a lot of categories of questions, uh, depending on who he was talking to. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, it's interesting that sometimes, well, he was, he's God, so he knew the answers. That's, that's an interesting kind of a reminder for us that he, he knew, he knew what he was asking and he knew the answers to what he was asking. Um, but he wanted to know the people with him. And so he would, he asked the disciples, for example, who had been close to him for a long time, uh, who, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He, he called them to, to, um, to ask some hard questions of themselves. Um, he asked them, why are you so afraid? Well, that's a good question. What, what, why are you afraid? What, what are you afraid of? What, what, what creates a lot of anxiety for you? I was with a man yesterday who is an incredible uh, entrepreneur and business person. He's not an old person, but he's achieved a lot. Um, and he asked me the question. He said, Daryl, is this it? Is this all there is? Uh, this success I've achieved, is this, is this all? Uh, and I asked him, what, what are you afraid of? What, what, what is this that you know, has created this anxiety in, in you. And um, so fear and insecurity, uh, Jesus stepped into that. Um, I, I love the question that he asked in Mark 10. He says, uh, of, uh, of the person needing some help, he said, what, what is it that you want from me? I think sometimes we can ask people, who, who is Jesus to you? What do you want from God? What is it that you're really after when you think about God, what is it, what's motivating you? And so Jesus asked those kind of questions and 
piercing questions sometimes, some just curious questions. Um, I think sometimes uh, you, uh, you do a great job of this every day, um, asking meaningful questions, not simply polite questions. Uh, certainly, mm-hmm. hey, how's your day going? That That's as far as we get because we're, we're so often ready to tell them whatever it is we want to tell them. And we're, we're not genuinely, as you mentioned, we're not genuinely curious. Uh, we're just really trying to get to what we want to say. And I think if we slow down a bit and really invite people into our lives and give them a chance to invite us into to theirs, most people want to tell us the things that are on their heart. It doesn't take long for people to become authentic if they know that you're listening. I think that the um, patience required to wait while somebody forms an answer, particularly to a question that they weren't expecting. I think that we walk through life and we expect people to ask us the casual, non-invasive questions. And we're prepared with uh, surface level, <laughs> non, um, non-revelatory answers. But if I ask a real question that requires a real answer, I then have to be patient while that person forms the answer to the question in a way that they're comfortable, that, you know, reveals as much as they want to reveal, but not, you know, more. I mean, I know that I make people feel more vulnerable than other people make them feel because most folks are not asking questions that are that take any time at all to answer or are hard to answer. That's right. And so part of asking good questions is being curious, um, but then being patient because not everybody is ready to offer an answer to a deep question. And so we have to give them time to think about it. Um, Even the question of what's on your mind or what are you thinking about? has lots of layers of answers. And I like to push beyond the surface to like, are you really, I mean, is that when somebody like, well, I'm not really thinking about anything. I'm like, really? I mean, like, there's, really, there's literally nothing on your mind. Like, what are you thinking about? And then why are you thinking about that? Like of all the things that could be on your mind right now, why is that on your mind? And then how are you thinking about what you're thinking about? Most people have never noodled around long enough in their own thought process to answer any of those questions, but they're all good questions. Um, You know, Jesus might ask a question like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing here? What got you here? What got you to this place? Where are you headed? Do you know how to get there? Um, That would lead to an I am the way and the truth and the life conversation, but it's not where he starts. And so I think having the end in mind, if I do know more about a person and their circumstance than I'm letting on initially— um, particularly if I'm talking with a child, um, this comes to mind, or a younger person. Like, I I usually know more than, you know, I let on at the beginning of the conversation. Um, and then, you know, and that's because I know where I want the conversation to go. And so through the questions that I ask, I can actually move the conversation in that direction. Um, not Not because I'm trying to manipulate people, but because I'm genuinely trying to influence what they're thinking about and how they're thinking about where their life is headed. Absolutely. And there's layers. People, we we live in layers. And so it takes that patience. It takes that genuine curiosity um, to to allow people the the opportunity to be vulnerable with you and with us 
And um, if if we meet a new stranger, a stranger for the first time, and we we dive into the deep end, and they're not really ready to answer that question, we may make assumptions about what they really believe and assume that they're you know they're not walking with the Lord or they've denied the faith or, but it could be that they're just not ready to dive in with us there, and we're not patient enough, you know, to to allow the layers to to be unpacked, and so. Your, your comment about patience and just letting people um, have an opportunity to answer questions and to have a conversation with people rather than us be prepared for a presentation. There's a difference between those two things. And um, we think about presenting the gospel, and we should present the gospel, but a gospel conversations are really important or conversations that lead to gospel presentation. But if, if, um, if we're not willing to, to take the time for people to uh, unpack and, and, and peel back the layers, then we're, we're really not going to get to the heart of it. And we're going to make a lot of assumptions that probably will not be totally accurate. And um, I asked, a, I was sat down for coffee with a, a local leader on Monday and and I, I know this person, so I was able to, but I haven't seen them in forever. And uh, I said, hey, are you happy? And she was kind of taken. You know, she wasn't prepared for that. And it led to an incredibly significant conversation uh, about her life and all that's going on in, in her. And and I was genuinely curious, is she in a, ha- is this a good place for her? Is she, is she fulfilled and doing what God's, her to do so i just think when we and she probably hasn't had that question in weeks and weeks nobody's you know asked that in a while so i think uh, when we sit down with people and take our time we'll find that they'll be incredibly vulnerable whether they're believers if they're unbelievers um, i'm going to be in a meeting in a little while um, there's going to be all kinds of people there and and most of them if given the opportunity will We'll share as much as we're willing to listen. Yeah, and if you're ever wondering what question to ask in a conversation, here's my favorite one. Tell me more. Mm, That's really good. Just open the door. Hey, Daryl, as always, um, thank you. We love our conversations with you. We appreciate um, the way you're allowing God to use you and, um, and, and appreciate your spending time with us. So thank you. It's an honor. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's our friend, Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. If you're wondering, like, how could I be an agent of change in my community? How could I get others to start talking about what our community needs and how it could be positively impacted um, through the gospel? That's that's what you find at Everyone's Wilson. And so let me invite you to check it out, everyoneswilson.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, we could just start with a question about the weather. What's the weather like where you are? Yesterday morning when I got up, my little temperature thing at the bottom of my computer screen told me that it was going to be a near high in terms of the temperature where I live. Today, guess what? Same little gauge at the bottom of my computer screen says today, uh uh-huh, near low, near record low. Mm -hmm. What's the weather like where you are? There's two ways to ask the weather question. You know, the weather, the temperature, the rain, whether or not there's a hurricane headed your way, 
um, a gathering storm on the horizon. There's that kind of weather. And then there's the weather or not kind of forecast. So you and I want to, um, we want to approach life by faith, whether or not uh, it rains or the sun shines. So that is an encouragement to you today. Um, Burning Man. Have you ever heard of Burning Man and the Burning Man Festival? I will confess to you that up until just a few years ago, I had not heard of Burning Man. I'm now familiar with Burning Man. I actually know some people who have gone to the Burning Man Festival. Um, I don't I don't credit that to them as righteousness by any stretch of the imagination. Talk about a mission field. This would be an interesting, wow, just noodle this for a minute. What about sending your youth group to Burning Man, you know, like on a mission trip? Ooh, I don't know. That'd be kind of a dangerous hot zone. All right. Burning Man, for those of you not familiar, is an annual event that is held uh, in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada. 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 I had a Nevada. Yeah. Um, It's like 120 miles north of Reno. It's literally the middle of the desert. Here you go. It's a it's a festival celebrating, quote, all forms of radical self-expression and also radical self-reliance. The idea is uh, it you know, there's art, there's communal living, there's a lot of music, there's uh, a lot of <clears throat> free relational exchange um, and uh, everything that is brought into Burning Man has to be taken back out. That was the idea. The idea was that nothing would remain after the Burning Man Festival ended. Like, it would there be nothing there. It's just an empty, expansive desert, and then nothing would remain afterwards. Well, that that's not really true anymore, but um, that, that was the idea behind it. So the Burning Man Festival is named after this giant effigy of a human being ceremoniously burned toward the end of the festival. So normally that happens on the night before Labor Day, which this year would fall on September the 4th. But apparently the Burning Man burning um, is already a raging fire so big that it's being photographed from um, satellites overhead. Uh, Anyway, it's interesting. Why am I bringing it up? Well, because there's a lot of controversy related to Burning Man. It's making the headlines right now. Uh, not uh, Because there are people who don't think it's radical enough, like it's lost its radical edge. Um, and so there were some climate activists who chained themselves to uh, uh, a trailer. They set the trailer across the only route in and out of the Burning Man Festival. And they refused to leave. And these climate activists, um, you know, were were saying, I mean, look, it's it's more than five hundred dollars a ticket now to get into Burning Man. And this is supposed to be about D commodification and egalitarian gifting living and we want to abolish capitalism and mother earth needs our help and so we're going to chain ourselves here in the middle of the desert to a trailer sitting across the road and we're going to make people really 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 mad well anyway so uh that is why burning man has made the news of late but we're going to talk with mark Terman next about the religion the religion of burning man what's really going on when we talk about radical self-expression. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mark Turman is back. He's the executive director of the Denison Forum. You can uh, find him and podcasts that he hosts and articles that he writes at denisonforum.org. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? Well, I am, I am well. I am well. It's well with my soul. 
Burning Man. Um, how long have you been familiar with Burning Man, and what have you to say about it in terms of not only not only the reality of it that it is happening um, as a cultural phenomenon, but like, uh, what does it say about us re- religiously that this is happening in our culture? Yeah, it, it's uh, somewhat fascinating and somewhat familiar, is what I would say. Uh, but this particular expression for me. Uh, kind of like what you said a moment ago, I've been aware of it for about 36 hours since uh, read this article <laughs> and started learning about what people have gone into the desert to do um, and just astounds me in some ways, but also is familiar because uh, we've seen these kinds of expressions uh, fairly consistently, I would say. And it kind of strikes me as the intersection of uh, Woodstock meets uh, religion on steroids or self-made religion on steroids and is really uh, a picture, I think, of uh, a lot of strains of thought and and activity going on in our culture, which is uh, I have to be my true authentic self, however I understand that to be, however I want that to be on any given day. Uh, and it's it, it really is like throwing everything into a pot and just stirring it all up together and seeing what comes out. And uh, as you mentioned a moment ago about the uh, climate activists, well, what happens when my understanding of my truth and my true self intersects in a conflicted way with what you or others are doing? Uh, How are we going to work through that? How are we going to solve that? And I think it's a picture of the... uh, the desperate search for hope. I think it's a, a picture in our society of uh, people coming to this idea that uh, I am the center, any individual is the center of the universe, and it's it's simply what I believe my truth to be and how I choose to express it. And that's what life is really all about. And there is an, uh, an incredible amount of emptiness in it. And before we get to... Uh, uh, self-righteous about this in some ways. We should remember that there's a story in the Old Testament that when Moses went up to spend time with God, Aaron and the rest of the people started doing something very similar. So um, for folks who are wondering and they think that maybe this is just a, a small um, phenomenon and this is uh, something that, um, you know, just is going to be short-lived, Burning Man has been going on for more than 30 years. And um, last year, well, actually, I don't have the count for last year. I have the, I have the count for 2019. In 2019, 78,850 people participated in Burning Man. Um, and remember, this is an uninhabited uh, portion of the desert in, uh, in, in Nevada. And um, they construct a city. And it constitutes the second or third largest city in the state during the time that it exists. And it's just debaucherous. I don't have any other word for it. It's it's just pure debaucherous behavior. And um, and it's hard to imagine that there's anything redemptive about it. Um, I actually spent a couple of pages writing about the phenomenon of Burning Man um, in my book a number of years ago. And um, and one of the things that I observe, Mark, is that Burning Man, like this event, it encapsulates this desire for significance and meaning, um, but it's trying to find it in all the wrong places. Uh, it 
it it's searching for God, but you know if you if you end up arriving at yourself um, in that quest, then you've obviously arrived at a place of total futility. Um, and I don't need to trek to the desert to discover that I am not God. Like I don't I don't need to do that. The fact that people are going to such expense and such lengths and taking so much time um, and devoting so much energy and effort um, to seeking some kind of religious experience in community with other people should tell us as Christians that there really is an aching, yearning need in the culture. We're just not doing a very good job um, inviting people to the reality of who God is and to um, an invitation into genuine Christian community where they can have um, positive experiences of self-expression because it's it's sort of rightly ordered. I don't know. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. That the the event itself and the fact that there's a almost a hundred thousand people that go into the desert for this extended experience really is an indication of just how desperate people are for hope, and they are desperate for something. Uh, that is both beyond themselves, but then, as you said, they turn inward to say, uh, well, if we're going to find anything that is truly transcendent, we need to look inside of ourselves and at our own ideas, uh, which really speaks to the, uh, to the reality that uh, while we seek for something beyond ourselves, something transcendent, something outside of ourselves, uh, we also are radically committed to trying to stay in control. I think all of us are control freaks, um, and that's really at the heart of our sin problem. We don't want to be under the authority of God, even uh, a good and loving God as the Bible presents him to us in the person of Jesus. We still want to be in charge, as many theologians have said. We have this radical commitment uh, to the pursuit of power, to being God instead of letting God be God and us living under his loving authority and under his uh, gracious and loving leadership. Uh, and so we, what you find in this story really is a picture of how, conf- so how conflicted we are on the inside. We want something. We need something. We know that we're limited. We're n- we know that we're finite. We know that we really can't rely upon ourselves. And yet at the same time, uh, we keep coming back to that as uh, the default uh, pursuit of self-expression and of what some call self-actualization. And then it's interesting, as you point out, when you put a bunch of people together in community, uh, they tend to feed off of each other and it becomes an intense experience. And that's really, uh, in some ways, Carmen, the the culmination of what this generation, so many of us seem to be uh, focused on is, well, I want to have an intense experience and I want to have it with other people because that makes it even more intense. And that's how I know that it was meaningful. That's how I know it was real is because it was emotionally intense for me. Therefore, it had to be in some way um, outside of myself or in some way divine, but it's measured largely, if not exclusively, by my emotional engagement, my emotional response, my emotional uh, experience of the moment, and the and uh, and that's how I know it was real. Is because my my emotions 
uh, on an intense level tell me that it was real. Uh, and, and you see that happening in so many ways as they as they blend in this experience, music and art and religion, all kinds of different expressions of religion, as long as it's intense, don't really care what it is, don't really care what it means, as long as it is impressive and, and, and emotive for me on a deep level. And if we were to take a little time and juxtapose that against Moses's experience on the top of a mountain, shrouded in a cloud, one-on-one with God, um, versus the intense emotional experience of the people at the bottom of the mountain who were trying to gen something up for themselves, um, or have the same conversation about Elijah, the prophet, in a very calm, quiet conversation with God while the prophets of Baal um, sought to create um, some kind of religious experience. Um, you know, I think there are examples in the Bible of what we see at Burning Man, um, if we will just take the time to uh, to look for them. So um, thank you for this conversation and for helping us examine what's happening in our culture today and bring the mind of Christ to bear upon it. Um, there's something happening in Montgomery County, Maryland, that we all need to know about. And it has to do with those opting out forms that come home from school this time of year. So if you're a parent and you send your child to public school, you're familiar with this. There are opportunities to uh, have your child opt out of participating in certain types of instruction. Well, uh, Montgomery County, Maryland does not offer the opportunity for students to opt out or for parents to have their children opt out of classes where LGBTQ issues are being read and discussed. Um, Does that seem like something that you ought to be able to opt out of as a parent? That conversation's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever wondered where God is when you feel like you need him most? Do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath? Are you confident in that? Do you trust in that? Susie Larson has a brand new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. So we want you to win yours at MyFaithRadio.com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath. And we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. All right. uh, When you drop your kid off at school, are you giving up your parental rights? That's really the question before us. Um, A federal judge has denied parents, multiple parents actually, request for their children to opt out of lessons that feature LGBTQ plus um, storylines. So uh, Mark Terman is here with us from the Denison Forum. You can find him and resources at denisonforum.org. uh, Mark, what um, what strikes you about this story out of Montgomery County, Maryland? Well, the thing that most strikes me about it is that this has become uh, probably the most significant battle line uh, around LGBTQ ideology 
thus far. And when it gets to this level, when it comes down to our children and their education and how that education is going to be uh, executed, I think this becomes perhaps the most significant uh, battle line in this in this conflict. Um, and now we have we have seen that the agenda, the now 50 year long agenda of the LGBT community has really progressed to this point of not just glamorizing their ideology that is in complete contrast to biblical teaching. Uh, it not only glamorizes it, popularizes it, normalizes it, but this is the significant advance of stigmatizing those who disagree. And uh, some believe that the next step will be to criminalize those who disagree with the ideology uh, of LGBTQ and the way that they're trying to normalize their belief and behavior uh, system. And, and to do that, particularly in the context of the local school, the public school district, and uh, using taxpayer money to advance that ideology. Uh, and it really comes down to a very fundamental uh, couple of issues. One of those is, how do we think about sexuality? How do we think about that in terms of uh, the weightiness of that part of what it means to be a human being and what it means to be a society? And who has the responsibility as well as the right to teach children, to teach the emerging generations uh, what they ought to think and how they ought to think about sexuality and sexual behavior. Uh, and I believe the right place for that is in the home and not in the school district. Uh, supported by the church or in, in the interesting thing about this article is, is that it was not so much Christians who started uh, contending with the school district in Montgomery County. It was a Muslim group of people who said, look, this teaching that is tr trying to come into our schools is not in keeping with our faith, and we want our kids to be able to opt out. We want to be able to teach what we believe about human sexuality in our own homes and in our own uh, religious context. We do not want that to be uh, communicated by the public school system. I think that the question that each of us need to um, need to consider is, I mean, there is the whether or not, whether or not um, we drop our kids off, right, at a, at a public school. Um, but when we do, how, how far can I protect them sort of from the cultural influences of the day? And how am I actively preparing them to live in the midst of that culture? Like, you know, how, how early are we teaching worldview um, how fully are we equipping even the youngest of our children to discern between what is true and what is false and how to, um, I mean, how to live in the midst of uh, of lies. I mean, they, they have to be prepared for it. We won't be able to fully protect them from it. Eventually, we have to prepare them to live in the midst of it. And so I do think this is the, as you say, this is the battle line. Um, today, and it's a it's a battle for our kids, um, and it's you know uh, it, I would say it's a battle for the culture, um, but I'm also not a culture warrior type person. I'm a you know let's till the soil and plant the seeds, and um, let's let's grow the harvest of righteousness that we want in the midst of the harvest of unrighteousness that we happen to be living in. So, um, 
it's a um, it's a challenging uh, challenging time for each parent out there making these decisions. It absolutely is, and in some ways, uh, it clarifies where the conversation needs to go. I agree with you. I don't think we ought to be cultural warriors. I think we ought to be cultural missionaries. Um, and and yet at the same time, this is a clarion call for all Christians, first of all, to be renewed and rededicated in their faith. We have to be uh, so diligent in our devotion to Christ that we can do what the book of Jude says when it says that we are to contend for the faith. Uh, and so it is a call to every Christian and especially to all Christians who are parents and grandparents as well as local churches, particularly on this issue. Uh, Christians and churches have, uh, uh, have in many ways for, for a long time uh, wanted to embrace a biblical sexual ethic, but have been weak in teaching that as strongly, as clearly as we should, resourcing parents so that they can do that in age-appropriate ways within their homes. We all know that the home is the primary environment of discipleship. That's what shapes us more than anything. And we need parents who are being equipped to equip their children in age-appropriate ways from their youngest days uh, around this topic, as well as all the rest of the topics we need to talk about uh, in life, but particularly around the issue of sexuality. And uh, we need to then be supportive through the church, the church resourcing those parents, the church coming around to uh, reinforce and to deepen what parents are doing in their homes, and then equipping our children that when they go off to these environments, whether it's to the public school or to their sporting events or to the other things that they become involved in, the arts and those kinds of things, whatever they become involved in, that they are able to think and to speak, to act, and to love in biblical ways toward people who may not see the world or understand Jesus the way we do, the way Christian families do. And I think this is just an incredible wake-up call, particularly around the issue of human sexuality, that Christian parents, Christian families, and the church really need to reclaim in the gospel, through the gospel, and for the gospel, because we have an incredible life-giving message about sexuality. Amen. Amen. And about human uh, human identity and human existence um, writ large. So yes, from Burning Man to the conversations in Montgomery County, Maryland, about uh, sexuality and gender identity and who we are as human beings, it's all wound up. Um, it's all wound up in the gospel, and so we want to be declaring it um, to the world. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thank you, Mark Terman, for joining us today. Um, let's be praying for the folks in the path of Hurricane Adelia. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.